Welcome to Album Clash, the podcast in which we take two albums that share a connection and put them against each other inside the ring of death. Two albums enter, only one may leave. Metaphorically. This is Album Clash. Hello, and this is Album Clash. I am Tim. And I am Kev. And uh, yeah, this is the second part of our very first clash. So last week, I took us through Derek and the Dominoes, Layla and other love songs. So Kev, if you'll just remind the listeners what you're going to be taking us through today and what it is that connects this week's albums. The album clash uh, that we'll, we will be going through this week, it's George Harrison's All Things Must Pass. Um the connections between the between the two albums are Myriad, the musicians who played on on Layla and other love songs, played on the All Things Must Pass sessions. Derek and the Dominoes formed out of from these sessions, and uh, there are some links between Eric Clapton, George Harrison, and George Harrison's wife, which we will, without doubt, go into. Yeah, indeed. Thanks very much. Okay, so uh, let's get into it then. Okay, so All Things Must Pass, um, released in November 1970 as a triple album on Apple Records. And the first thing I have to say about it is, my God, it's a weighty album. I mean, physically weighty. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have a vinyl copy and the two discs which make up the, the album and then there's the Apple Jams album which is basically uh Harrison and mates fucking around and it's it's in like a kind of book form like it's it and it weighs it weighs an absolute ton it does it it takes so I've I also have a, have a vinyl vinyl version um yeah it takes up a lot of space on my record shelf um and what I can also say about the physical album itself is it also um when it was released and in the version I have it has you got a free poster in it where George Harrison basically looks like the priest from The Exorcist? <laughs> I mean, I, d- I don't know what the th- the thinking behind that was. As though you wanted a glowering uh, George Harrison looking over you in your bedroom. I'm not quite sure the whoever came up with the concept of the picture uh, had really thought about what market they were going for. In terms of in terms of the artwork. Um, it certainly isn't as good as Layla and other love songs. We have to admit that it's George Harrison sat sat in his wellies with a load of gnomes. I mean that that is literally the front cover of the album. The uh, photograph was taken by a gentleman called Barry Feinstein. It's been interpreted as a statement about becoming independent from the Beatles. Uh, the the gnomes uh, surrounding him are the uh, the fallen icons of the Beatles, and he is uh, well standing but he's not he's sitting down on a stool isn't he in the middle uh, fine okay he looks um, like a fisherman it, like he genuinely looks like a fisherman who's surrounded by gnomes so i was going to say words or gummage <laughs> <laughs> it's not spectacular if you were putting together a collage of best album covers it, it's it's not making anyone's first choice apart and i don't even think it made george harrison's first choice uh, I, I agree. So if we were if we were comparing the artworks, uh, the cover artworks, I think I think Layla wins. 
Yes, without question, it does. It it is <laughs> it's a much more interesting front cover. There's no question about that. So, for as I say, for the purposes of of this, we're gonna re- we're gonna review the uh, the double album. We're not gonna bother going into the Apple Jams as much as Tim would like to uh, talk about the absolute noodling that's going on in there. We, we we will refrain from going into the triple album. Uh, so yeah, we're not going to go into Apple Jams uh, other than to say, for me, it's 30 minutes of absolutely glorious dicking about in the studio. What what you can say about um, All Things Must Pass in terms of the the roster of people that, that played on it. So as we've, as we've mentioned, Derek and the Dominoes formed out of the All Things Must Pass session. So Clapton plays on pretty much most tracks. Um, Ringo is drumming. Uh, Ginger Baker performs on one of the tracks on, on the Apple Apple Jams. Uh, Peter Frampton plays. And even a personal bet noir of mine, uh, Phil Collins, apparently played the congas on an Art of Dying session. I did not know that. On the actual recording, he's not credited, but it is known that he played on one of the sessions. So... There you go. Well, I, so I did not know that. So I, I think we need to address uh, Phil Spector's demons. So famed record producer, the individual who came up with the concept of the wall of sound and convicted murderer, uh, Phil Spector, um, his signature sound is all over this album. It's you, like, it is, you could argue, uh, the most Spector-ish <laughs> of albums really yeah. so uh, compare it to let it be which as you said that you know there are there are two versions of let it be now out there um personally i prefer the the, the specter produced version uh but it doesn't sound like a typical specter record this absolutely does and despite his clearly flawed character and uh, you know the the horrible crime he committed, which can't go uh, unacknowledged. Um, I th- I think that sound improves this album. Oh yeah, the 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 wall like as we as we will go on to on a number of tracks on this on this album the that wall of sound the the lushness the orchestration the the sheer depth of of musicality on the album that that is spec that is specters i mean you could argue that all things must pass is specters apogee this is his high point so obviously we talked about this for for layla how did you first come across the album um so to be honest with you it was it was you so for, for those listening who don't know who we are we kevin and i've known each other for years and we we go and watch uh, football together support the same team and uh one time we we're traveling to the game and we listened to this album uh and i'd never heard it before in full um i'd recognized certain tracks my sweet lord in particular uh but that was my introduction to it it was literally driving driving to the match with, with you and your, your dad and your sister what about you so i grew up in a, in a scouse family my dad my dad played the beatles that we we so rubber soul is is very much a key a keystone album that i that i listen to from a very a very small height to to where i am now um 
as same same as Revolver. But these the solo stuff hadn't really come into our household, and it it was it, it was quite a random thing. Like so, I was I think I was listening to I think I was listening to the Rolling Stones on Spotify, and you know you have the option to click on uh, related artists. Yes. And I clicked on it and saw George Harrison. It's like, oh well, no, I've I've heard I've heard some um, McCartney solo stuff. I've heard some uh, some Lennon solo solo stuff. I wonder wonder what his was like. And I I clicked on the fir- the first album because this was his fir- his first solo solo release. And as soon as I heard it, I, I was like, oh my god, what is this? How have I not heard this before? And Basically, for, so from that point, I absolutely adored the album. And the thing, the thing that makes me laugh about it is the the first version I got, and I is I got it via the internet. And for those of a certain age, we know that that involved a some form of downloading, and it had the wrong um, the wrong structure to the album. So what? isn't it isn't it a pity? Um, was the first track on it, and oh, I'd have you, I'd have you anytime. Was was the fourth track on it, so they had it the wrong way round. But um, I think it was that first, the first, the first time I heard "Isn't a Pity," absolutely drew me in. And I'd always been a fa- like Harrison had always been my favorite Beatle. Um, yeah, ag- agreed. Because like I'd always. I'd always found his songs the most interesting. Whilst I loved um, the kind of kitchen sink uh, element of McCartney's McCartney's work, and I'd, the the cheeky the cheekiness and the expansiveness of of Lenin of Lenin's writing. Um, you said Lenin. Then. I know. I can't help it. Like <laughs> I, I am much more um, used to saying Lenin as opposed to Lenon. No, I know what you but, mean. Like I, so, the, yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah. So it, it, it was. It was really that. Um, and isn't it a pity? Was the it was me gateway drug um, to this album. And frankly, once once that draws you in. Then you get you get into the rest of the album, and my God, um, as as we will talk about now. So um, the album kicks off side A, track one, with "I'd Have You Anytime," which is a lovely, gentle opener, uh, co-written with Dylan about them meeting at Woodstock, and it it's just lovely. <laughs> I mean, there's 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 no like I haven't really got a huge amount of notes on it because it, it it is just. It's a lovely soft opener to the album. So you said gen- that's exactly what I wrote. Nice gentle opener, and that's all I've written. We haven't compared notes before this recording, uh, so uh, once again, our our telepathy is clear because it's exactly what I've said. A nice gentle opener, and that's pretty much all I've said. And then we we go on to um, the very famed um, "My Sweet Lord," and it. This is this is the start of one of the key themes of the album, which is around, I suppose, spirituality and the where Harrison had sort of developed after the Beatles went to India. Um, his growing interest in the Hare Krishna movement and Hinduism, and it's 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 short, like 
you may not be particularly religious, you may not have had any kind of religious upbringing or that, but it's just a really good tune. Yeah, so I, I'm not religious, and I didn't have a religious upbringing, um, but I love this track. Regardless of of one's faith, this speaks of a, a man opening his heart to something bigger than him, and the way that the song is constructed, the delightful, happy slide guitar riff, the simple chord structure all the way through the song. The lyrics are pretty simple, let's be honest. I, I really, really love this track. It, and it, it, it builds. So the, the, the opening acoustic, um, str- like strumming, and then it, all, the di- all the additional elements kind of thrown in and by the end you've got obviously chanting for um for Hari Krishna and that and the thing that I didn't I never knew about this song before we started looking into it in more in more depth is that um Harrison lost a plagiarism suit related to to this case to this song as it was found he was to have plagiarized he's so fine by the chiffons Uh, and I had indeed so do you see, do you know what the judge's ruling was? I I, I don't know. I'd, I I've I've never I've never like it, it came as a complete surprise to me. So yeah. So as as it did to me, the judge ruled Harrison was guilty of unconscious plagiarism, which sounds really harsh. I know you didn't know that you'd nicked this song of someone else, but you did. I mean, there's only a, a limited number of chords and notes like it's he hasn't he hasn't done a pharrell he hasn't just basically nicked marvin <laughs> pharrell and robin thick <laughs> yeah we are indeed we are indeed referring to the uh the the court case between the estate of marvin gay and pharrell williams and robin thick uh around their track um blurred lines. blurred lines thank you uh, and it's uh, blatant plagiarism of the classic Got to Give Absolute It Up. Absolute banger, Got I to Give It Up. love Got to Give It Up. And, uh, uh, well, you know, it was it was proven in court. So there you go. So, so yet again, like, whilst we've been talking about a different, like, well, an album, we've, <laughs> we've referenced another song that has absolutely... N- Tangentially, nothing to do with the albums we're talking no, about. But again, but, we can. I think we will both heartily recommend the listeners go and listen to the full version, not the edited version. The full seven minutes of "Got to Give It Up" by Marvin Gaye. You want a party tune? Oh yeah, absolutely. I have one more thing to say about about Mike Sweetlord. So, people who aren't familiar with uh, "All Things Must Pass" as an album but are fans of uh, modern popular culture, such as the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, will recognize My Sweet Lord as it is. it features on the soundtrack to Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Volume 2 uh, in the scene where the Guardians are being introduced to Ego's home planet. Um, and again, uh, it, for those that have seen the film, it, it fits really well. Uh, within that scene. And I think um, one of the things James Gunn's done really well on both of those films is, is select the songs uh, on the soundtrack to really fit well with the, with the scene. So, you know, I think that speaks to the, 
the legacy of this this is an album this is a song that it um that it still has a place in in popular culture today and so the third song on the album is uh wawa and my first note that i that i've put down here is banger it's it's a great tune it was written in anger by harrison during the get back sessions with the Beatles, so the what the ones were uh, so that's not my so I so it was written in anger by Harrison, but by Harrison by Harrison, excuse me, Harrison. But I, my under yeah, my, my understanding is it was written in anger by Harrison during the White Album sessions when he temporarily, very temporarily, left the group. So we have a debate over which session it was. We we can agree that it was written out of anger and he temporarily left the group. And it was yes. So at some point in 1968 or 1969, <laughs> so it, it was out frustration over songs, um, which uh, many of which went on to this album being rejected by Lennon McCartney, who basically just didn't rate or did not think that Harrison's songs fitted with the Beatles' aesthetic, um, or they just didn't want to give up the space on the album. Um, I mean. They always gave Ringo a song, and really, you could have just given that up. <laughs> so, I'm really glad you said that <laughs> because because I was about to say. So, and okay, I know we're not necessarily talking about the same albums, but you put fucking Octopus's Garden on an album, but you listen to "Isn't It a Pity," and you go, "Nah, nah, that's 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 not good enough for a Beatles album." Come on, fellas, fuck's sake! Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, we've we, we've we've got we've got space we've got space for Octopus's Garden, but you know we we haven't got we, we just can't fit in. All things must pass. I'm I'm sorry, like that's that's a ridiculous thing to fit on this album. It doesn't go. It doesn't even go with anything. So yeah, I, I mean, it, this is a really good song. I I I think the the riff at the start is is really great. Um, I think the brass section in the chorus is is belting. I'd, I'd love this track. I mean, what what you can hear. So the first the first two, two tracks on the album, you can't really tell the Phil Spector's that involved. Wah wah! You can hear Phil Spector has has very much turned up with his producing hat on for this, because what you what you need is well for this song we're going to put everything. We're going to put reverb, we're going to amp everything up, and we're going to stick some fucking massive brass on there. And you just go for it, lads. And it bloody works. It does. It absolutely does. Great song. Great song. And the uh, the next the next song on, on the album, which finishes the first side, if we're going on the, on the vinyl, isn't it a pity? Which is, frankly, a... Beautiful, beautiful piece of work. So again, Harrison wrote this whilst he was still in the Beatles. Um, it was again rejected, and at one point he considered giving it to uh, Frank Sinatra. As, yes, indeed, he did. Um, as John Lennon had vetoed it, Harrison said of said of the song, um, "It was an observation of how society and myself we are. We take each other for granted and forget to give back." He also said of it and. This may be relevant to another album that we've already spoken about. It's about when a relationship hits a down point. It's a chance to, to reflect. If I, if I felt somebody had let me down, there was a chance I'd let them down as well. 
and based on a lot of the uh, biographies and stuff of um, Harrison at this time, he had let himself down with a number of other women um, while still married to Patty Boyd at, the, at this time. Um, it's just a beautiful piece of work. And that, that, first, that first side of the album, it, there's nothing bad on it. It's just all good. And isn't it a pity? It's just a... It's, it's massive, it's huge. Again, you can hear uh, Phil Spector's influence influence all over it, but it works so well. Yeah, so so for me, I think this is a track... So you've talked about the lyrics uh, and what the song's about, and, and the lyrics are very simple, and, and, and they repeat over the song, but they're, they're so poignant. This is where the slide guitar is really prominent, and it's wandering all over the second half of this track. And it, it's a magnificent slide guitar solo. The, the chord progression in the song, so with the sort of constant, with the strings underneath the progression of the chords, it, it, beautiful. And I have to say, it, it, it's, it's so distinctively Ringo on the drums and it's great yeah. Ringo <laughs> drumming. And I, and I mean that in, a, in, in the most complimentary way. Because as a drummer, he's had a lot of criticism over the years, Ringo, but he knew his lane and he was really, really effective. And on this track, Ringo's drums come across. They, they fit the song perfectly. Yeah, the, the, the drums are there and they are prominent, but they, are, they, don't, they, they add to the song. They don't take away anything. They don't draw your attention. Yeah. They're, part of, they're part of the wall of sound. They, which is obviously yeah, exactly yeah. what Phil Spector's going for. So they perfectly, everything perfectly complements each other. Absolutely. So I, I just wonder though, why uh, on the songwriting credits, um, Harrison didn't credit Paul McCartney for ripping off the end of Hey Jude? <laughs> because it's very similar. <laughs> Uh, and, and also, and, and I have uh, never heard this, but apparently Nina Simone covered not only Isn't It a Pity, but also My Sweet Lord. And uh, I I haven't heard either of those cover versions, but I assure you, after we finish this recording, I'm going to go and listen to those cover versions because I like me some Nina Simone. So I have heard the Nina Simone, uh, My Sweet Lord, and it is it's fantastic. It, it's a it's a lovely piece. It's Nina Simone, yeah. <laughs> so you know, it it's not going to be that bad. Um, I've never heard her version of "Isn't it, Isn't It a Pity," and I would I would be very interested in hearing that. Okay, so we then go on to the second side of uh, the first disc. What is life? And it's it's a fantastic pick me up to start the second the second side of the album. It it really it really works. Um, apparently, it's been a number of films. It, but like, it's in Goodfellas. I have no recollection of this song being in Goodfellas. In, in what scene is it in Goodfellas? No idea. Apparently, it's also in Patch Adams. I've never seen Patch Adams. Well, I mean, in terms of two films that have a slightly different tone to them, <laughs> Patch Adams and Goodfellas, they, they are not natural bedfellows, <laughs> I would say. But in terms of the song, it's a fantastic pick me up, um, and really, really starts the uh, the second side of the album very well. So I I agree. I've written two things about this track. Both uh, relate to things that the song sounds like. 
So the first thing I've said is the intro, and I I appreciate this is no fault of the song or of George Harrison, but it sounds like for for anyone who is a fan of the band Space, and I am not, the opening track of their second album, uh, Tin Planet, uh, is called Begin Again. And the riff at the start of Begin Again is pretty much lifted from the riff of What Is Life. And knowing what we said earlier about when both Kevin and I were first introduced to this album, I could not get that bloody space song out of my head when listening to this song. Um, the second thing is, and this is much better, is I think the body of the song and the, certainly the verses sound a lot like um, Keep On Running by the Spencer Davis group. Which is a banger. It is a banger. So I, I chose to focus more on that than on the, you know, space <laughs> uh, but yeah it, it as you said it's a really nice pick me up after a, a really beautiful poignant track and isn't it a pity flipping the disc over and having this to to, to lift you up and lift your mood it, it felt really good yeah so then we go on to if not for you which is a dylan uh, cover so dylan wrote it for the new morning album and it's a lot it's a look again it's a lovely bit of work um what i what i noted down was Lovely bit of harmonica and, and slide guitar. Do you know what? I have put nice Dylan harmonica at the it's end. so Dylan. <laughs> like, that's the thing. It is very Dylan. So you say slide guitar. Again, I noted that. So to me, I'm sorry. Again, this is the this is the amateur musician coming out to me. It sounds to me like it's a 12-string acoustic guitar. He's playing slide on. And uh, it just sounds really nice. So I don't, I don't think we've really got anything more to add to that. Nope. It's, it's a really nice song. Um, so then we go on to Behind That Locked Door, which I think, and obviously we will get to the pointing on which which album, but I think we can certainly agree that there is a greater number of step changes in this album. And my God, this is a step change. It's a country, it's a country song. It's very, very country. You know, the, the pedal steel guitar is, is so prominent on this track. And I usually... I'm I'm turned off by pedal steel guitar. It's, I think it's over time it's become very hackneyed with a certain type of country music. Um, this is a lovely song and it works really well on this track. And that's I fully understand that's my own bias and my own prejudice coming into play here, but it it, it works here. So the um, the song itself was uh, it's written uh, for Bob Dylan. So. At the time, uh, Dylan had stopped performing live and George Harrison wrote it as a, an encouragement for Dylan to come back to performing live, um, which he did do at a festival and it did not go well, <laughs> which, which led to him uh, not performing live for, until the concert for, ba- for Bangladesh, again with Harrison. I cannot confirm or deny whether someone shouted Judas um, at Dylan, and, <laughs> and that was that was the cause of the issue at the at the festival. So after behind that locked door and the very country country vibe um, comes let it down, which I've written down as the most specterish song on the album. It's huge. It is huge. It's epic. I've written and underlined epic. Um, it was submitted for inclusion on Let It Be, but again was rejected. I mean, it's mad the songs that that Harrison put forward, and it shows you like the growing, how how much he developed as a songwriter. The how yeah. how good a song. Let let it down is a brilliant song, and 
as I say, the the Spectre production just makes it huge. And like the way that counterpoints with the simplicity and the the vibe of behind that locked door, it's 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 a really interesting point of the album, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've written the opening bars of this this track are like a punch in the face after the the restrained beauty that it is behind that locked door and that's a that's a great thing i i absolutely love this track because it gets it gets the hairs on the back of your neck standing on end like you said specter is all over this it sounds absolutely huge the piano part twiddling away underneath the track all the way through is is phenomenal the the what the slide guitar again just wandering all over the track it's it's just glorious um so the song itself uh, is about accepting that um, you're not in control of everything and sort of just letting things happen when they need to happen and sort of rolling with the, with the punches. And it just works. It, it all together works. It's it, triumphant, this track. Yeah, I, I think triumphant is, a, is an excellent way to describe it. The, the, br- the brass is just really punchy. It, yeah, it's 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 a it's a fantastic and it well so again using the codicil to say that Phil Spector is a is an awful human being, it is testament to the fact that the man could produce a decent tune. Again, as we said earlier, there is a conversation to be had around separating the art from the artist. We are not the people to lead that conversation. So if that's what you're looking for, I'm afraid you're listening to the wrong podcast. So we no because. Because we are, we are going to, we are certainly going to um, make reference to people being awful humans because that's the yes. interesting bits. We will exactly, exactly. Those are the interesting bits, and we will, we will never hide away from the nitty gritty, the dirt under the fingernails. But wait until we get on to John Lennon. okay so the uh the next track and the final track on the first disc is run of the mill which has been described as harrison's love song to the beatles absolutely it's and it's the you listen to the lyrics and it 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 is it's it seems like it's to me it sounds like a lament to a lost friendship yeah and i mean again that speaks to a a theme of the album that there's there's a spirituality theme running through it and it's it's an album about loss as well and obviously it's it's reflecting on the loss of um a core relationship in George Harrison's life the the, the, the people that he had basically been around for the past 15 years or so like were out were out of his life yeah. I, I mean what i've what i've written down here is one lovely bit of brass, can't yeah. can't argue with that, and the instrumentation's just lush. It's it again, beautiful. Yeah, it is. It it is beautiful. So I, I've I've written two things. So um, to me, the 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 guitar part right at the start of the track, you know, the few uh, the few notes right to kick the track off. To me, they remind me of the opening notes of Across the Universe, which is a, a glorious track. I love that song. Uh, and yeah, the horns really melancholic, really oh yeah, really set the song off. Really, you know, it's it, lovely track, lovely, lovely way to bring uh, disc one to an end. I mean, as you say, the melancholic is a is a 
beautiful way to to describe them that the 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 horns are the lament for the for the loss for the lost relationship yeah. really the, yeah. the loss of the of his mates really so side three which opens with beware of darkness which i've i've put down here is it's lyrically beautiful and essentially it works as a as a run on a natural progression from run of the mill it does um it's Almost, it sounds like a warning. This song to me, you know, lyrically, it, it's this is someone speaking from experience of, um, well, you know, the experience of what has happened with the Beatles. It, it's it sounds like a warning. Again, yeah, it's it. the The reason it works as a run on from run of the mill is that again, it's that lament for 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 the loss. Definitely, definitely. Um, the only other thing I've written here is the. I think there's a there's a distinctive sort of southern rock Allman Brothers sound to this track, which and again you spoke earlier about this album has a lot more changes of pace, different styles through it than than Layla does, and I think this is one where that comes across. So um, from Beware of the Darkness, um, we go on to Apple Scruffs, which I mean, as as you have literally just said. The the album has various uh, changes in tone, in sound, and everything. And this is the the most stripped back, really, of of the songs on the album. It's, I mean, it's incredible. Like, there's literally a Dylan song on there, and this is the most Dylan esque uh, song on the album. Yeah. It's it, it's really stripped back, and it it has a huge departure from the big production on the rest of the album. But again, it works it works so well it that. Does. It, you're moving all over the place all the time. So, do you know who the Apple Scruffs were? What Apple Scruffs refers to? Um, I'm assuming it's not someone who sells apples who's a bit scruffy. So, uh, the the Apple Scruffs were uh, was the name given. Now, I'm not sure whether the name was was an, was one they uh, gave themselves or was one given to them, but it was effectively a a, a group of of female Beatles fanatics who um would hang outside the studio uh, and, and hang outside the studio during the recording of this album so basically this is this is another uh, although we talk about change of pace this track is another lament to the departure of the beatles because harrison is saying to this group of really dedicated fans of of the band that he was part of and toured the world for a decade i miss you i'm sorry it's over and um I think that really works with it being such a stripped back song. It, that really comes across. So um, from Apple Scruffs, we go on to the ballad of Sir Frankie, Sir Frankie Crisp. And my God, it's gorgeous. Um, Beautiful. I mean, you have Phil Spector all over it and it's, it's massive and it's, it's just beautiful. It's what it, I, I would say it's one of my favorite songs on the album. It's yeah, it it's just lovely. Like you, you again can lose yourself into it. The piano is gorgeous here. It, it, to me, it sounds vaguely Elton John, um, uh, and and the track itself is it. It feels like a coda to to let it down. Uh, it, it, it's another song about accepting not being in control and, and, and letting things happen and rolling with the punches. Uh, but obviously it's a lot less, it's a lot more stripped back. It's a lot less, less, less epic than, than let it down. 
uh, and so works to me as a really nice coda. So then uh, we move on to Awaiting on You All, um, which is another... So as we've talked about on this album, the Harrison's uh, growing spirituality um, was heavily heavily influenced in this song. Uh, this is considered a gospel song, really, um, but it has clear references to his growing involvement in the uh, Krishna consciousness uh, movement, but makes references to to different to different religions in there. And there's there's also a a, a clear criticism of of John Lennon in it. Um, so right near the start, there's a there's a line where you don't need a loving to change the world, and like obviously that that is quite a pointed reference to uh, to John Lennon. Well, the main thing I've written about this track. So you said it's a gospel track, and that is you can hear that in Spades. It's it's it the way it's produced. It sounds very gospel. I mean, the one thing I've written is this is Phil Spector tastic. This is you play you play anyone this track without knowing anything about it, and you say who produced this track, and they'd say Phil Spector. I, I mean, one of the interesting things about this song as well is that the there's a whole lyric in there which is very critical of the Catholic Church, which EMI allegedly um, will not allow to be printed in the in the lyric sheet because they did not want to get on the wrong side of the uh, Catholic Church. Well, I did not know that. There you go. So uh, again, again, we um, would like to emphasize allegedly. allegedly. Yes, these are yes, very much allegedly according to the internet. So then we move on to another song rejected by the Beatles. All things must pass. So, at which point was this song rejected? When was this presented? So, this was presented according to my uh, very thorough Wikipedia research. Again, through the uh, get back sessions, and again was rejected. And you, you just think, what? <laughs> really? So, so because I've written, I mean, it's a love, it's a lovely song. It's a really, it's melancholic, yet it's optimistic. Uh, the sound is, it's really, it draws you in. It makes you feel warm and comfortable, yet at the same time, it makes you feel a sense of longing for something. But the one thing I've written is this sounds a lot like the long and winding road. And perhaps that's one of the reasons why it was rejected. Perhaps it was simply a case of we've already got a song that sounds like that on this album, George. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it it it, it seems it seems mad that it, it was rejected. But um again, side three is is fantastic. The there's very there's very little on there that you can criticize. I mean, I, I, I bet the audience is waiting with anticipation as to which album we're going to select as the best one here. <laughs> <laughs> We've been entirely <laughs> impartial on the subject so far. We haven't shown our hand at all. So uh, then we go on to uh, side four. Um, first track on it, I Dig Love. Um, I, I've got to admit, it seems out of place on the album. And I've heard, like, so when I was doing my research on it, um, so, like, I, I, I forget which um, critic said to it, it refers to uh, Harrison's playful side. I'm sorry, the I Love Dig lyric in it. George, you, you are literally having a line in there where you're saying, I love dick. 
Like that that's what it is, because that's what it sounds like. Like it, I'm I'm not having the yes, it's I love dick. It's it it's it's a bit childish and it do, it doesn't fit on the album as in my perspective, but like obviously. Tim, what is your view? It it's fine. It, it's I've, I have I have nothing to say. It it's it doesn't fit on the album. I, I think lyrically, it's it's a lot less clever than George Harrison perhaps thought it was. Um, musically, I quite like it. I, I think it's it's got a nice funky bass it's, it's line got underneath. A, it's there. got a nice jam to it, but like, but it's 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 entirely disposable. The whole track. So let's move on. Yeah, and then we go on to Art of Dying, which um, it's another song which references Harrison's growing spirituality. So the Art of Dying, there's there's a reference to uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Um, I absolutely adore this song. It's massive. Again, it's massive. There's there's a hell of a lot going on, and it, it's just it's just really good. <laughs> like I, I haven't really got any a detailed critique on it it's just i really like this song to me this sounds this sounds i mean I, I, and this is good i i really like this song too i think it's 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 another change of pace it's another different sounding track but it sounds really sort of funky wah-wah disco and i suppose you could argue it's a little bit jarring with a lot of the other songs on the album in the it's well so lyrically uh, as you said, there's a lot of spiritual calls in there, but the sound is a lot more up tempo. It's a lot more disco. Um, I think that's a good thing. Uh, I, I just, I'd be interested to be a fly on the wall in the in the studio where they thought that this was the right way to go with the production of the track. That's all. I, I mean, and this is going to reference uh, the next song. I would say that in terms of the album, the side four is probably the weakest of the album. Yeah, I agree. Because obviously we've we've already been fairly critical on I Dig Love. It's it's quite disposable. Art of Dying, whilst we whilst we we like it, it doesn't necessarily fit with anything. And then you go into the second version of Isn't It a Pity, which frankly is not it, it doesn't add anything to the album. It's not as good as the the original. So I, I'm not quite sure why it's there. If if I'm if I'm truly honest. So I agree with everything you've just said, uh, but I still really like it. Fair, fair enough. It's I, I think it's a it's a it's a it's a lovely counterpoint. It's a really lovely counterpoint to the uh, what I'm going to call the main version, the version on uh, that closes side one of, of disc one. I suppose that what you what you can say is that again it. It runs, it runs nicely into the final song of the album, and it does thematically, musically, anyway, um, work to get that you from from just the sheer epic, epic sound of Art of Dying, where you've thrown everything at it. Isn't it a pity? Is like considering the the version that you've heard earlier in the album, it's much more stripped back, and it, I it. It works, but I, I'm not sure that I particularly get a huge amount from it. I, I get that. I, I, I suppose my observation would be if you swap them around, I wonder if you'd say something similar about the uh, Spectre, the, the Wall of Sound version. I think if you if you understand the 
intent and the meaning of the song, which we talked about earlier. The pared down version in some ways fits better with that. I, I agree with everything you've said. And, and it's an interesting choice putting two versions of the same song on one album. As I said, it's an interesting thought experiment to consider what we'd be saying if this version was on the first disc and the other version was the one we're talking about now. Yeah. And then the album ends with Hear Me Lord, which again um, speaks to the spirituality of the album and one of the key themes of it. Um, (laughs) Again, a tune rejected by the Beatles um, and the huge uh, sort of rock gospel. I mean, you can't even call it tinge. It like just is. Phil Spector is all over it. It's, and is very much in, in terms of keeping with the rest, the rest of the album, it's massive and it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's a lovely bit of work. It is. I think this is a great closer to the album. I think it's, Epic, as you said, it sounds to me like a, a a man repenting, a man praying for forgiveness for his sins, and um, there's a real poignancy to the lyrics. I, I I would even go so far as to suggest, given the album and the way it's constructed and the way it's structured, this is the perfect closing track for this album. Oh yeah, and it as as, as I said it. It underpins the key, one of the key themes of the album about that spirituality and that looking for forgiveness for for whatever whatever you've done. Really, question I've got to ask you. I don't think it's a controversial question. Um, best solo Beatle album uh, for me, uh, undoubtedly. Um, not the first I heard. Um, so uh, perhaps inevitably for someone of my age, Imagine was the first solo Beatle album I uh, I procured and listened to. Um, uh, uh, yeah, uh, without doubt for me. I assume the same is for you, this case for you. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, like, the, there are things to be said for McCartney 1, uh, it's, it's surprisingly, really. <laughs> but um, I, I, as an album, I, I adore it. I mean, as we've as we've talked through it, there's very few low moments in it, really, or or areas that you can you can criticize. And even then, the bits that you can criticize, you you know, you you're criticizing a different version of a song you really like and a slightly disposable song on a double album. It's not a bad hit rate, that. So um in terms of you know, legacy. This album went to number one all across the globe. So Australia, Canada, the Netherlands, Italy, Norway, Spain, Sweden, the UK, the US. It sold uh, over 7 million copies worldwide. It went six times platinum in the US. This is a, this is a, a huge album uh, in terms of commercial sales. Now, but I would put to you that it's so we've both came to this very late and, and we both reflected that it was, we were introduced to it by other people. You were introduced to it by Spotify. I was introduced to it by you. So when we talk about legacy, 
I think it's a great shame that this album is not more revered uh, than uh, solo works by 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 um, certainly John Lennon. When, as we've just said, we both think it's the best best work post Beatles by any of the four of them. It it it's one of the weird things is that like you speak to anyone who has a bit more of a cursory understanding of music and that's not making out that we are musical experts or anything like that but anyone who to use the old iTunes thing goes past goes into the deeper cuts anyone who who tries to look past the initial the initial stuff like it is it is the best Beatles solo album but for some reason like it's all the songs are really well known, but the album in all the sort of influential album lists, it's always dead high, but it doesn't, it never seems to be that prominent. Whereas, like, imagine everyone knows Imagine. I mean, also, like, I mean, if you've been into Liverpool Airport, like, you know, you know Imagine, but like, it's, it's, it's one of the, it's one of these mad things that it's, it's this massive album and it's got so much going on in it. It's brilliant. And even some of the songs in there, like you speak to someone about a George Harrison song, they they would probably know My Sweet Lord. But if you ask them what album it came from, I'm not quite sure. that. And it's, it's the weird thing that... I think a lot of people would say it's a Beatles track. Yeah. And, and that's the weird thing is that people don't seem to know the album. So I've got a theory. Go on. Let's hear your theory. We've we said before we started going through this album, it's it's a meaty tome. You know, physically, as we both said, it takes up a lot of space on a record shelf. There are three discs and and leaflets and posters in there. And to people like us who are do want to explore music that we haven't heard before, that's an invitation. And something that we're excited by, but to the record buying public, it's a turnoff. And I, th- I, I think you could say the same for Layla, is that you see a double album with so many tracks on, and missing in this case a triple album. You think, especially nowadays. So I, I, I think, as a okay, so so we we need to explore the fact that this technically wasn't George Harrison's first solo album. Uh, it was technically his third solo album. He'd released a mostly instrumental album called Wonderwall Music. But I mean, it's it's the first it's the first real solo Beatle release. It is I, 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 much to the chagrin of of, of one uh, Jay Lennon, uh, for example. Um, but it's a really ambitious release, a triple album. And now I know we're it's 1970 here, so we are. We are right in the midst of Led Zeppelin, and I love Led Zeppelin. But this is the you know this this is the time of excess and extreme, and let's go bigger and let's go longer. And I, I say again to to people like you and I, that's fantastic. To the record buying public, I think it's a turn off. Is it is it also the problem that essentially? George Harrison is known, like, with, but in terms of name recognition from the Beatles, it's always Lennon and McCartney. It it just is, and like John Lennon will always have Imagine as his 
outside work and if you want to go into into his into his back catalogue you can find some you can find some cracking stuff in like his his solo work McCartney did much more sort of popular stuff but kept himself really well known to the public Harrison came out with like the from the gate his absolute best work Exposed to the wall yeah, like because these are the songs that he was saving up when he was in the Beatles. So he's come out yeah. with some absolute crackers. But the problem is, it's his first thing. And I've heard some of his other solo stuff, so living in the material world and stuff like that. And and you know, it's it's good, but everything was was downhill <laughs> after after that. And may and maybe the fact that he didn't already have the he had the name recognition, but not to the same extent as John Lennon was. John John Lennon is I am the I am the Walrus. Paul McCartney is um, Michelle. You know, you know, like or yesterday. He the 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 people who who like Harrison's music. You've got to pick it out from the Beatles stuff because there's so little of it. So. I suppose I suppose we do need to bring this <laughs> bring this to a close. Yeah. What's your favorite? What's your best song? What's your worst song on it? We I think I've shown my hand already. My my favorite track on this album has to be the the closure of of side one of disc one, uh, the 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 main version as I've called it of isn't it a pity? It's glorious. It's epic. It's it's everything I like in a song. I love it. My my least favorite track. Although I don't dislike it, I don't struggle listening to it. I just think it it's jars with the rest of the album, as we've already said. It's I Dig Love. So I can completely agree with you on I Dig Love. Um, in terms of my favourites, not necessarily the best song on the album. I, I flit between a few. So Art of Dying is amazing. Um I love Isn't It a Pity, but I would say, I'd actually say that it's probably the ballad of Sir Frankie Crisp. I, I absolutely adore that song. Like, it just, I don't know, there's something about it that just draws me in every time, and I I, I love it. Great. Uh, so, but I think what we've what we've shown is this is this is such a strong album, and you could... It's one of those where almost, depending on what day you've listened to it, you could pick two or three tracks, which might be your favourite on any particular day. It's, um, yeah, a a delight. And and then we've not even got into disc three, which (laughs) I I love. I love disc three. I can just turn it on. You can turn on, tune out. Love it. So I suppose um, at this point, this is where we have to come to our conclusion. Um, for the listeners. So uh, who will prevail <laughs> in the ring of death? So what we're going to do, uh, we probably should have set this down at the start. We just, we've talked about an awful lot of things. We've talked about the songs on the album. We've talked about the commercial impact, the critical success, the legacy, the artworks, so, but we're just going to wrap all that up into one uh, and, and just give them a score out of 10. And whoever win, gets the highest score on aggregate is going to be victorious. So, uh, so Kevin, let's do uh, let's do Layla and other love songs first. Out of ten, what are you going to give Layla, and why? So, Layla gets for me. So, 
in its its positive points, so I will start positively. Um, it has better better album artwork. We we've already agreed on that. Um, the guitar playing is is immense, and there's some absolutely fantastic songs on there. On its downside is the Eric Clapton. Well, Eric Clapton. The there is also obviously the alleged story of the stealing of the piano exit from Layla. Um, it is iconic though, Layla as a song. So I'm going to give it a seven out of ten. Okay, so uh, it, for me, I, I agree with a lot of what you said there, particularly about Clapton. Well, yeah. So Clapton, it, it, we can't ignore the the views he's expressed in the past, uh, and for me, the way that he attempted to acknowledge those in 2018 doesn't really uh, doesn't really um, address the, the the problematic views. So that that is something that has to be taken into consideration. Um, in terms of musically, I, I love a, a a drawling extended blues jam and that's what this album is and that it's is what drew me into the album i think as i said before even with that by the time you get to the start of side four i was starting to struggle and i certainly think that the the, the two covers that open side four are unnecessary and i actively dislike the cover of uh of little wing layla itself is a fabulous track and it is iconic uh, but i'm not going to be as generous as you i'm going to give layla a six out of ten so that brings us to all things must pass so uh now I, as i say i fear we've shown our hand here but just about what do you give to all things must pass so there's only there's only one i mean i suppose if i'm there's two songs that I'm not that massively keen on, which is I Dig Love and maybe the second version of Isn't It a Pity. Um, I adore this album. It's one of it's one of my favourite albums, which is part of the reason that I bought it on vinyl. Um, yeah, like there's so much going on. The the sound is is immense. Lyrically, it's it's interesting. Musically, it's interesting. There's and it's always it, it's always moving. The like that that's a, that's the thing about it. The, there's four discs and you fly through them. Whereas, as you said, with when we when we got to side four with Layla, I mean, like my, again, <laughs> references. Um, she asked me, "Are you still listening to this?" <laughs> um, when I was on Layla, um, that didn't come up when I was on um, All Things Must Pass because it sounds different. It const- there's constantly something going on. So I think for me, it loses it loses a point because the cover is is shite. Um, nine out of ten. Nine out of ten. Wow. Okay. So I agree with everything you've said everything you've said i love this album i would put this alongside uh my favorite beatles album whilst it's hard to find a weak point on the album do i think it stands alongside 
my all-time favourite albums? Uh, that's a difficult question to answer. I love, I love it. We said side one of this album is amongst the strongest four tracks on any album that you will ever listen to. Side four, no, uh, yes, side four of this album struggles. I think it's it 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 tails off somewhat, and the fact that it's produced by someone who was convicted of. Murder. Yeah, we did. We do. It, I, I did. I did neglect to mention that we should probably dock it a point for that. So, I'm going to give this eight out of ten. I mean, I think there's a still a clear winner. So, yeah. um that gives uh, Layla uh, with if I'm if my math is correct, uh, Layla with seven plus six gets thirteen out of twenty. Whereas all things must pass, we have uh, given a majestic 17 out of 20. So a very clear winner in the first ever album clash Clash, 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 clash. is George Harrison's All Things Must Pass. And I I mean, clearly we agree that that's deserved. It's it's more diverse. It's more, um, it's just better. it, It is, it is a better album. And you don't get bored listening to it. So that's the first episode of Album Clash concluded. So what are we going to do next week? Next week, I am going to ask you to take us through the Stone Roses' second album, The Second Coming, from 1994, whereas I will take us through Oasis' difficult third album, 1997's be here now. I think we can both agree that the white powder played a significant role in the <laughs> production of both of those records. The cocaine was definitely a flowing. And obviously, again, we can refer to um, to horrendous um, individuals in relation to lockdown. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, and I promise the listeners... This is not a deliberate theme. We are not saying who are terrible people that also record music. It just, it just happens, happens to, be... to be the case that we like music recorded by terrible people. What does that say about us as individuals? Uh, so, yeah, that's next week. There's your homework. Uh, you need to listen to The Second Coming by The Stone Roses and Be Here Now by Oasis. So, yes, if you would like to get in touch with us to tell us what you think or suggest any album clashes, you can contact us on Twitter at Clash Album, on Instagram at Clash Album, or you can email us at albumclash at gmail.com. Absolutely. Uh, That's been Album Clash, and we will see you next week. I mean, we won't see you, obviously. This is a podcast. You can't even see us. But uh, you get the gist. Thank you very much for listening. Cheers. Goodbye. Thanks very much. Bye.